This past year has been uh, a quite a year for myself. I have uh, been doing some real soul searching and uh, feeling really challenged of the Holy Spirit to dig in and question a few things in my life. And uh, some of the reasons I think was going on, I was being stirred because I was listening to the media and what the media is saying that our government officials are doing or were doing or are doing when it comes in regards to our kids of trying to influence them and trying to uh, take away the rights of the parents and have the parents not know about anything that's going on and that is just not right that that kind of thing happens and so that was burdening me like you wouldn't believe and then between this and the education systems you know our universities and colleges trying to squelch freedom of speech like, you know, that is dangerous territory where that is all going if that ends up going that way eventually. And I tell you, it doesn't look good in a big picture in North America. And uh, what's crazy is the strength of the media in a lot of this kind of a thing. But then once I'm all just burdened, so burdened about all this, and I'm just struggling, I watch a movie that's called Tortured for Christ. That's like icing on the cake. Just like, wah. And then so I was just... Burdened and moved, and I really felt like I was being led by the Spirit to f- do some fasting. And as I thought about what was obviously coming down the pipe, like it, to me it just looks like it's just so obvious where we're going as a world and going quite quickly. I asked myself, you know, at this time, and I'm watching that Tortured for Christ, and I'm seeing, wow, you know, like the things, like this one pastor in this movie, Tortured for Christ, he was arrested because he was leading people to Jesus, and he was just preaching the gospel like pastors do. And they took him, and he was in prison for 14 years. And I don't know that he was beat daily, but he was beat regularly. And just atrocious uh, things, but he never caved. And, like, he just stayed faithful. And it's just uh, quite an amazing movie, and I have it in my office if anybody's interested in seeing it. It's, it's very stirring. It caused me to really stop and say, wow, Lord... Are you Lord of my life? Like, man, what would I do in a situation like that? Am I surrendered to your lordship to that degree? And, you know, like I'm a pastor here at Living Stones Church. And I'm a Christian or work with Christians every day. And by all appearances, I'm a follower of Jesus. And just for your comfort, I am a Christian. I am a disciple of Jesus. <laughs> but, you know... By all appearances, I'm a Christian, and I was feeling very convicted in my soul that I needed to stop in life and evaluate every area. Are my priorities right? Am I doing what the Lord wants me to do? For real, am I doing what the Lord wants me to do? Like, is everything I'm doing, is it right? Is it what God is saying to do for my life? Is there anything that is between me and my relationship with Jesus? Just being busy at the church does not make me have the right to stand in the kingdom of heaven because it's all about relationship with Jesus. I was feeling challenged to fast and I didn't want to fast at the time. I felt like it was such an inconvenience. I didn't want to do it because we had just gone through a fast in the church. And I said, Lord, I don't really want to do a fast. And my body was saying, I definitely don't want to do a fast. But this 
feeling to do a fast just wouldn't leave me. So I forced my body to submit to my spirit and do a fast. And it really was one of the toughest fasts I think I've ever done. The battle was incredible to stay on that fast and to keep doing it. And as I was fasting, I was praying this verse. Search my heart, O God, and know my, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. At the time, I was thinking, also meditating on a scripture in Matthew chapter 7. You have, most of you have probably read these verses over and over, and these are probably some of the first verses that I had memorized in the scriptures as a young man. And uh, in the NIV Bible, the title over these verses is True and False Disciples. And so it says in Matthew 7, 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father. And I had to ask myself, okay, you know, do I know that I know that I know the will of the Father? Only he who does the will of the Father is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you know the will of the Father? You know, like if we can't answer the yes, I know what the will of the Father is, we need to stop and think, oh man, I better find out what the will of the Father is because not everybody who calls me Lord is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but only they who do the will of the Father. So Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? How's that going for you? You know, like I had to ask myself, how's that going for you? And, you know, I'm a pastor, and people come into the church from the streets, and they make appointments, and from other churches, other places, they come into the church, so I experienced this. But these people were experiencing this. This doesn't make us a believer, or doesn't make us worthy of heaven. Casting out demons, performing many miracles, that doesn't qualify for us to get to the kingdom of heaven. And I was thinking, wow, Lord, what is it? He says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. There's the will of the Father, that we know him. Away from me, you evildoers. And I didn't want to hear those words, away from me. I didn't know you. And so then it was like, okay, what is there? Anything that is between me and my relationship with Jesus. And so as I'm being stirred in all of this, uh, recognizing where is my relationship with Jesus? Is it where it needs to be? Is there anything that's between me and you, Lord? John chapter 14, verse 21, he promises to show himself to us. He's real. Jesus is real. The Holy Spirit is alive, and he's dwelling within us, but are we anywhere past praying for our meals and that kind of thing, or do we have a real intimate relationship with him? Is he leading us? Are we doing some things, just even a little bit, out of our comfort zone? The Holy Spirit's sort of quickening you to move out in an area of some kind, to speak to somebody in a lineup. You know, are we just really quite comfortable? We need to stop and say, okay, Lord, like, where am I with you? And I, had, I did this. Like, this winter, I spent a lot of time, you know, I don't know that I've repented more than, like, in this last year, I've repented more so far, I think, than I have in all the years previous, just because, Lord... You know, I, I'm not worthy, but your grace is sufficient. You are merciful. And, and it's like, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And I don't want to be like these people and hear those words, I never knew you. I know that uh, 
just because I work at the church as a pastor, that does not secure a place for me in heaven. And so I took some time and I just did some real down-to-earth soul searching. And when I started to fast, it was crazy hard, but I had to come to the place and ask myself down deep, is Christ at the center of my soul? So through this fast, I learned that food couldn't be the center of my life. And so like, what's going to win out here? My stomach or the Holy Spirit? My stomach was putting up a pretty good fight. It was, you know, tough. It was tough. But I couldn't allow the food to come between me and Christ. At this time, God was calling me to do a fast, and I felt like I've got to do this fast as much as I didn't want to. And I recognized that being busy couldn't come between my relationship with Jesus. Because you can get real busy doing all kinds of things and think, oh, things are fine and things are okay. But if your busyness comes between you and your relationship with Jesus. You can be busy and be having a relationship with Jesus at the same time and stopping and spending time with him and just fellowshipping with him. But you can also be so busy that you don't have time for fellowship with him, you know, you just sort of walk by and give a wave. You know, busyness couldn't be between Jesus and I. And the third thing that I realized that couldn't be between Jesus and me was my family. I love my family. We have such good relationships with all of our kids and grandkids, and, but that couldn't come between my relationship with Jesus. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone has to be the center of my life. Everything else comes out of that. Everything else is connected to that, but that's the core of who we are as believers. And so that's where I was at, wrestling with this, saying, okay, and letting stuff go, and just centering myself on the lordship of Jesus Christ for my heart. Is he in the center of your life this morning? It's a good question that we need to ask ourselves on a regular basis. Is Jesus Christ the center? A little further on, we're going to see, you know, like, some ways that we'll know how much the center Christ is. He makes it very clear that in his word, in the scriptures, that the kingdom of God is very different from the kingdoms of the world, quite contrary to the things, the kingdoms of the world. And, you know, because the, kingdoms of, the kingdom of heaven is different, and I need to be different because he's different, and I'm to be like him. And this can only happen if I surrender my life to him totally, and continuously allow him to take first place in my life. And there's so many things that are pulling at our, for our attention. There's so many things. If we're a husband, we're a dad, we're a grandpa, we're a mom, uh, we're a child that's in school and friends and the pressures that come that way. You know, a wife and a husband trying to relate to each other. The tensions that come in family when your kids are young. It's a stressful time of life. There's busyness time of life. To be able to keep Jesus at the center of who we are in the midst of all this stuff that's pulling at us in life is an interesting task. Like what Jesus was saying, what I was saying there this morning, that his burden is light and it's easy. You know, so we make him the center of our lives and everything else hangs off of that. It's like, okay, he says he'll give us peace. So in the midst of this rat race and all these things pulling at us, we have the peace because we know where we're standing and standing on Jesus. And as we're standing on Jesus, everything else just sort of comes into its proper perspective and place because this is where my emotions are fixed. And then so this is happening over here, but Jesus is in control. 
Jesus is the Lord of my life, so this doesn't matter near as much when it's not hooked right to the soul of who I am. This is starting to tug here. This is tugging here. It can get pretty. I'm feeling like you're on pretty shaky ground. So now, all these things tugging at us in this world, you know, like the way that the world is going and it's speeding up, it seems to be getting faster, it seems to be getting smaller. The times that we're living in are unique. I just heard this week the LGBTQ uh, group are just flabbergasted at how fast their message has taken off and how fast it has gotten out there and how fast it's going and moving. And I thought that was so interesting to hear them say that because I think it's just crazy how it's taken foot and is going where it's going. It's just mind-boggling. But they're even surprised. So we live in unique times. And it'll provide for us as God's people who are the light and the salt unique opportunities. The potential challenges that we as a believer are potentially about to face. But I'll tell you, if everything keeps going the way that they want it to go... There will be things that the believer is going to face. And the world changing as fast a pace as it's changing. You know, the, the biggest proponent of all this is social media has probably had the biggest impact in making this thing sort of explode. And social media has grown and communications are so wide open that society is changing so quickly in so many ways. It is incredibly powerful media. The effect that it has in the world, it's amazing, the power that it has. And it's like, it doesn't even matter if it's true. Because what we're doing now, what society's doing, is they're just sort of congregating into their little groups of, of what they want to believe. Truth is not on the front burner. It's not the most important thing. It's just, what do I want to believe? And that's where we need the Holy Spirit to move in there and just shake that. Because that's just... It's just a bunch of like fur balls cluttering and smothering and destructive. You know, the Holy Spirit can come in there right in the middle and just poof, and it's like a dandelion. It flies all over the place, you know, and then there's nothing left but the truth. So we see this verse in 2 Timothy. This is the days we're living. For the time is coming when people will not put up a sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires. And we'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. Because social media is having such a powerful effect on our society today, it's paramount that we work extremely hard to have a good relationship and an open relationship with our kids. You know, you think about our kids and the social media, pretty young. They've got phones and iPads in their hands and they're locked into it. And, uh, you know, they're being fed stuff and we need to know what they're being fed and we need to talk to them about it like this is incredible Karen mentioned to me she says it's like in the 70s when Christian music started to come out of the church and into the world it's like oh that music's of the devil you know like the Christian rock and roll it was just it still is brutal music like I had a company my business and my sons would plug in their cassette player or whatever they were playing at the time and this just, they call it head banging, and I felt like banging my head on the dash when it was playing. And I tell them, you guys keep playing that music, and I'm going to be the grouchiest guy all day long. I said, I hate that music, because it would just agitate you. And then, you know, so Christian music's coming out, and you're thinking, okay, 
You know, it's of the devil. So much of it's in the devil. And we didn't really understand, you know, how does Christian music fit into our world? But that's all ironed out, and we've got good quality Christian music. It's a great witness and a great testimony, and it's the same kind of thing with our media. We need to just be aware and help our kids to learn to discern what is right and what is wrong. They have to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God, because that's the plumb line that we gauge everything in life by. The media, social media in and of itself is not what's evil. It's all the stuff that mankind is doing behind the scenes with the social media that's evil. And our kids just need to learn how to navigate through because they're not long and they're gone from us and we have no control and they're navigating anyways. So the younger we teach them to navigate through life and discern what's right and wrong, the better off they're going to be in the long run. They're not going to be perfect. They're going to make mistakes. We still make them. You know, so it's, uh, it's just important that we know what they're doing. An interesting statistic, the average time that a person spends on the social media is in one year a person could read 200 books. That sounds like a lot, but that's a really a conservative, like I was doing some mental gymnastics with this thing here and thinking, okay, like that sounds like a lot, but uh, it says that the average person, here's how much time the average person spends on social media, TV, and in a year. It's 608 hours on social media and 1,642 hours on TV. That's 2,250 hours. If, it takes, if we could read 200 books in 417 hours, there's a lot of time left over for a lot of other stuff for our social media. But here's something that's really quite challenging and the simple truth about the Bible and the Word of God that it's really not that hard to read our Bibles when you think of how much time we spend on social media. The scary part is that we all ignore is that we really are kind of addicted to our social media and we're too distracted to do what we know is all too important. And, you know, we need, this is a good thought, and I pray that you hear this and just take it wherever it lands on you in your life, in your heart, take it and think because it lands, I think, to all of us, you know, somewhere. And, you know, when we're spending all this time on social media, do you think that this is having an effect on the way that we think, maybe what we think, and on our kids especially, but even us on our worldview? You know, because a lot of this social media, there's everything up there going on, and there's a, there's, they're getting more aggressive. It's pointing at the scriptures and saying, oh, the scriptures are outdated, they're not true, they're contradictory, and they're not historically accurate. But when you take that Bible, like, it's amazing to me that anything I've heard about the Bible and them challenging it, the Bible has always come out as being true. Historically, it's accurate. It's amazing. I don't know how they can say that because there's so much archaeological findings that are historically accurate and even uh, archaeology with the Assyrians and stuff that's outside of the Bible. It confirms what the Bible is saying. You know, they push the truth away. People that don't want the truth, they push the truth away. You want the truth, God says, seek me with all of your heart and you will find me. Something that's happening with our social media is that um, envy, the sin of envy, and how it's grown. No age group or social class is immune from envy. Envy is being taken to, the, to an extreme. 
The deadly sin of envy has become more present in our everyday lives than ever before, thanks to social media. And I'm not just slamming social media. I'm involved in social media. My kids are involved in social media. We're all sitting together. There's 11 of us. There's 12 phones going off or 12 tablets on there. You know, like, I know what the social media is all about. And I'm not just trying to slam social media. I'm just making us aware social media is having an impact. And I really feel like for our kids' sake, we need to really understand okay and be aware of what's going on with this social media and what they're seeing and hearing. Not only do we compare ourselves with our friends and neighbors, as people always have, but now online we measure up against people from all over the world. Celebrities and strangers and friends of friends. No age group is, or, or social class is immune from envy. Envy is being taken to the extreme. There's an interesting thing going on. Uh, headlines rock the world through social media after billionaire Robert Smith made an unprecedented announcement during the commencement speech at the Morehouse College graduating class of 2019. My family's going to create a grant to eliminate the stu your student loans, Smith told his senior class. Well, that's a great thing. That's a good thing. You know, it's a, an in this announcement just buzzed this historically black all-male college. But an undercurrent of resentment has since been stirred up among other African Americans who have saved and to sacrifice to, in order to take their, send their kids through school, uh, the colleges and universities debt-free. And so they're a little bit upset about this. And there's a common complaint that uh, uh, this Michael Singularity, who has uh, authored this little clip here, he says that there's a common complaint I hear from some parents who have sacrificed to send their kids to college debt-free and, you know, was my labor in vain? And he says that those, he's, he is saying that those not on the receiving end of this amazing gift might have thought to themselves, even just for a second, well, what about us? What do we get for doing the right thing and for saving for our kids to go to college debt-free? And he says, your saving and sacrificing does not make you a loser. He says, it makes you responsible and fortunate, and there's so much reward in living within our means. There is so much reward living within all of our means, including setting a good example for our kids. That's huge. Whether it's a surprising gift from a billionaire who need a need-based aid given to some other person's child, don't resent what others get, he says. And so the text that we're looking at this morning is found the, the workers in the vineyard. And the thing about it in that story is it comes down to don't resent, resent what other people are getting. And, you know, envy. Jesus is using this story to help his disciples realize and really understand what it means to be in this world but not of this world. So in order to really understand this parable, we need to look back at chapter 19 where Jesus is ministering to the little children and he's saying to his disciples, unless you change and begin receive the kingdom as these little children, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. And he says, the, then little children were being brought to him in order that he may lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples spoke sternly to those who brought them, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of heaven belongs. This whole story is going on and Jesus is starting here. And he's working to say, okay, you guys, you know, like the kingdom of heaven is different than the kingdoms of the world. 
Further on toward the end of this chapter 20, we see the wrestle going on. Remember James and John and the sons of Zebedee, the mother goes to Jesus and wants him to sit at the right and the left hand. It's amazing. After these stories, she comes to him and talks to him about that. And Jesus is trying to get across, you don't understand what you're asking because the kingdom of heaven is not like that. If you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you've got to learn to be the slave of all. It's contrary to what the kingdoms of the world are. Jesus is about to leave this situation and a young man comes of, of great wealth comes and stands before him and he says, Teacher, what good thing must I do to re- receive eternal life? And Jesus tells him, go and sell everything, give your money to the poor, and then come and follow me. Now when we read a scripture like this, you know, that's obviously not what Jesus, all of a sudden we think, oh, I got to go sell everything, you know, and we struggle, oh, do I need to do that? Keep it in context, let the Holy Spirit speak to you, he's gentle and he's kind and his burden is light. But he's come to Jesus and he says, Jesus says, obey the commandments. He says, I've done all that. And then Jesus tells him that he go and sell everything you have because he could see. He says he's kept all the Ten Commandments. And then he's told, go sell everything you've got. Give your money to the poor and come follow me. And he hung his head down and he walked away. And it's interesting what he says. The young man said to him, I have kept all these. What do I still lack? He's kept all the commandments, and in a Jewish mindset, he's blessed of God. Remember that in the Jewish times before Jesus, it was all about the land. It's all about prosperity. If you were prospering, God was blessing your life. You were doing everything right. Well, this young guy was blessed in the finances. He worked hard to keeping the Ten Commandments, but yet he had said in his heart, he says, what do I still lack? There's still something missing. Jesus says, get what's in between you and I out of the way. Come follow me, then you'll find it. There it'll be. It's a relationship with Jesus. Even though he wants eternal life, the young man cannot bring himself to cease worshiping the ruling force in his life, his great possessions. Is there anything that in your life that if Jesus said, I want you to take that and do whatever with it? Because it's in the way. It's in between you and me. It's in between our relationship. There's so many things that are pulling at us in life. Is there anything that's in between you and your relationship with Jesus? Because there can't be anything between that. That has, life starts there. And this is a good question to seriously ask ourselves on a regular basis. Because life happens. Stuff goes on. Things cling to us as people in this broken world, fallen world, and we're broken people only by the grace of God. Do we do what we do? Do we go where we go? Are we who we are by the grace of God? And as we stumble our way through life, great thing is that it says that the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous is that the righteous keep getting up. We stand up, we ask for forgiveness, and we say, Lord, forgive me. He says, you're justified. And that means just as if you'd never sinned. If you have to get up a hundred times in a day for the rest of your life, keep getting up. Jesus is always there to say you're forgiven. The enemy would try to have you thinking different. And it can be pretty discouraging when you're trying to get over something in your life and you keep on stumbling up and keep getting up. It's amazing the power there is in keep getting up. And right away. Not waiting because like in the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve, they went and they hid. We tend to want to do that. 
When we've done something we shouldn't do, we want it, we hide away for a couple of days and then we feel like, okay, I can start talking to God because it started to fade in my memory. But just get up right now, right instant, and ask forgiveness and walk on just as if you'd never sinned. The enemy cannot fight against that. And it's the only hope we have is in that grace that Jesus offers. So when the disciples heard Jesus say to this young man that, um, you know, he had the riches, he had obeyed the commandments, and, he, and this young man walked away, his head hung down, and then the disciples asked Jesus, man, Lord, this guy's got it all together. He's got the riches, and he's keeping all the commandments, and he can't get in. Who can get in? And Jesus said, with man, it's impossible. It's impossible to do anything to earn the way to heaven. And Jesus was showing them that it's not like the kingdoms of this world where they lord it over one another. The kingdom of heaven is free and it's by serving and loving one another. Jesus continues to tell the parable of the vineyard or the workers to explain that the kingdom of heaven is very different than the kingdoms of the earth. And we see in this continuing on with this discussion, Jesus tells this parable. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At 9 o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace. He saw some people standing around doing nothing, so he hired them. At noon, he hired them. 3 o'clock, he saw more, and he hired them. At 5 o'clock, he hired the evening, in the, uh, That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed, that's a key word here, they assumed that they would be getting more money, but they too were paid a, a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. This, those people worked only one hour, and you've paid them just as much as you've paid us, who worked all day in this scorching heat. He answered them, and he said, friend, I haven't been unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay the last worker the same as you. It is, against the, is it against the law for me to do what I want to do with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. They had agreed to work for the stipulated amount, which was fair. It was a fair wage. It was like us on our daily wage. And that is what they received. The landowner argued that he had the right to do with what he chose to do with his own money. He reminded them that they should not be envious and his generosity towards those who had labored only briefly. By this illustration, Jesus was teaching that the matter of rewards is under the sovereign control of God. That the landowner in the parable, sovereign owner of control of God, the landowner of the parable. God is the one before whom all accounts will be settled. In the final accounting, the Lord's analysis will carry the greatest and only important weight. We're all going to be standing before the Lord one day. The parable in the vineyard is a great illustration of God's sovereignty. It's telling us that he is the one who is in control and the one we're subject to and it's his judgments that are calling the shots and are going to call the shots with us. Our response to difficulties in life sheds a light on our understanding of who God is. 
How do you react when you're put into situations that are not fair or that you don't like? What's the reaction that comes out of you? You know, it tells a lot about how you know the Lord. How do you react when things happen to you that are not in your favor? And what, are you, what happens if you're at work and your boss is not fair to you? You feel like it's just not right. What kind of a reaction do you get? Do you get mad and kick things around and kick the dog? And You know, it's how we react shows a lot about what's in our heart and our understanding of God. What about for any of you kids that have parents? Like, what do you do when you don't agree with your parents? You know, you get mad at that. God has put your parents in your life to help you and guide you and teach you to know him. It's an authority that's ordained by God, and, you know, it's a, it's a godly thing, and we need to recognize that. And, you know, and I recognize that sometimes we're put in, or we seem to feel like we're sort of put into a family that's not, this, this isn't fair, what's going on, and I don't understand this, but that's a good time to talk to somebody, to a mature, godly person, and get some advice. Now, how do we react in all these kinds of situations at work, in our lives? Something happens to us that's not fair. We feel like we maybe deserve a little bit more than what we're getting, and it makes us angry. Somebody treats us wrong, and we get mad at them. We want, you know, like Scripture talks very clearly, forgive, and you'll be forgiven. You know, there is absolutely zero tolerance for unforgiveness in the Scripture. And yet, we seem to really feel like we can hang on to offenses as far as life goes, you know, like we're all human and that's where we're falling. And that's where we need to repent and make things right and stand up justified before God, coming to the throne of grace in it with confidence in our time of need that we might receive mercy. There's only the two roads in life. There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdoms of the world. There's the broad way where everybody or the majority of people are going. There's the narrow way and it says few find it. That was another thing, you know, in this winter. It was like the road, the road is narrow and few find it. Do I know that I know that I know I'm on the right path on this narrow road? What makes this road narrow? And, you know, there's one thing that Karen and I did as a young couple. When we first got married, we made an agreement with each other that nothing would come between us. And we've really worked hard to stick with that, not allow our jobs our family, like parents, even our kids, we made a covenant to each other that nothing would come between us. And this is the way it has to be with Jesus. Nothing can come between you and Jesus. He has to be the center of your life and the center of who you are. You know, I don't know, I think I said earlier, but I don't know that, you know, this year I think I've repented more times and I think I've recommitted my life to Christ more this time than I have the 40 years that I've been a Christian. And it's because I want to know that I know. I want to come to Jesus and, and Jesus is to say, enter into thy rest, thou good and faithful servant. I don't want to hear those words, I didn't know you. Do you know Jesus? Like this morning, are you one with Jesus? Is there anything that's standing between you and him? It can be busyness. It can be family. It can be a job. It can be a career. Like us as men, you know, we're out working on a career. We've got to make money to provide for the family. It's a, two families or like a husband and wife are working now, and then we've got kids to manage. And are we making sure that we're doing a good job with our kids? We know what they're doing, what they're up to, what they're looking at. 
Like there's a lot of things for us to consider as um, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, and a mom and a dad, and a grandpa and a grandma. There's a lot of things that are pulling out our attention. But Christ has to be the center of all of that pulling. None of that can be in the way. It has to be Jesus. And so this morning, I just want to pray with us before we go here. And uh, I pray that you hear what the Spirit is saying to you because he's speaking to every single one of us in here. The Holy Spirit is moving and he's speaking to all of you. Are you hearing what he's saying? Because he cares about you, he loves you, he, it says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, that's not what the Lord is about. But do you have an ear that hears what the Spirit is saying? Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear what your Spirit is saying. Lord, you know our lives, every detail. You know how busy we are. You know the commitments we have. You know the relationships we have. You know the struggles that we have in in these relationships. You've called us to be a living sacrifice. You've called us to come and to pick up our cross daily and follow you. Deny ourselves. Take up our cross daily. I just pray, Lord God, for this congregation this morning that you would just plant the seed and deep within the hearts, Lord God, that Jesus, you have to be the center of my life. My relationship with my kids, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my spouse, all of this stuff, my boss, my work, the time I'm committing, ministries in the church, everything has to be in its place. And Lord, you make it so that your burden is light. And so when we put on this yoke, Lord, and we're walking with you, you teach us how to walk through and navigate this life. And so, Father, I pray that you would just knit all of our hearts with yours. Come into our lives. Be Lord of our lives. Put the yoke, Lord God, on us and help us to know how to walk through this and navigate this life with you. We thank you that you're a good teacher. We thank you that you're gentle and kind. We commit ourselves to you when we pray, Lord, your will be done in our lives. Help us to be a light and salt that you've called us to be as a church. I bless your people, Lord God, and I thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've never made a commitment to Jesus, I want to encourage you to just ask Jesus to come into your life. It says, for all who received him, he's given the right to be called the children of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you can't say you're not ready, you're not worthy, you've got to get better, you can't get better enough. Just ask him to come into your life, be Lord of your life. Take that card in front of you in the pew. It's called the Connect card. Take it and fill it out and put your name on it. I will contact you this week. I'll contact you and we'll talk about how you can grow in your faith. And the rest of you, I pray that you will continually commit your lives to Christ and work and ask the Lord to give you wisdom as he yokes with you and helps you to put the priorities right, having him at the center. Everybody in your family would be blessed because of it. Be knit with your husbands and wives. Be knit as one and one with Christ. In Jesus' name, God bless you.